Hi, everyone. Welcome to Outer Banks Health, the official podcast series of the Outer Banks Hospital and Medical Group. This month marks 20 years since the hospital opened. We will be celebrating with weekly episodes that feature guests who will speak about life before TOBH as well as its early years. We will close the series with the bird's eye view of future growth and innovation. We are your host, Denise Schnabel. And I'm Wendy Kelly. Today we will be speaking with a doc who began practicing locally more than 25 years ago, well before the hospital opened its doors. We're not saying that you're old. Currently, he serves as the hospital chief of staff and regional medical director of the Vidit Medical Group. He's one of three physicians at Outer Banks Women's Care. If you've had a baby here, you probably know him. He's the OG of OB on OBX, Dr. <laughs> Dan Dwyer. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Dwyer. Uh, so you picked me because I have the most gray hair. I like that. <laughs> very nice. Not at all. <laughs> Not but at all. The most experienced. Most experienced. Uh, it's a good word, experience. Experience. Thank, Thank you for being here. Yeah, welcome. Well, th- I, I appreciate being here, and I can't believe it's been 20 years since the place opened. And whether it was six months ago or six years ago, it's all the same place in my brain. So I'll try and uh, give you some insight into the fun adventure that is the Outer Banks Hospital. That's amazing. Prior to the hospital, you once told a story about practicing in the Bronx when you first started out. Yes. And that's why why you you chose the field. And why you went into OBGYN. Well, I had no intention of being an OBGYN when I went to medical school. And my medical school was in New York. And we were associated or affiliated with many hospitals. And one of them was a place called Lincoln Hospital, which is in the middle of the South Bronx, just about 10 blocks north of Yankee Stadium. And my first day of my third year, and the third year of medical school is the first time you get to wear a little white coat and go to a hospital. (laughs) And in a teaching hospital, you can always tell how experienced somebody is by the length of their coat and how much stuff (laughs) is in their pockets. And so my first day with a little white coat with enough stuff in my pockets to perform brain surgery, I was assigned to the labor and delivery unit. And by the end of a 36-hour shift, I delivered 12 babies, and I fell in love wow. with delivering babies. Oh, and that's, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I got the adrenaline rush. I didn't. No one told me that I was going to be awake for 36 hours, but I, I <laughs> seemed to fit. So then how did you end up down here? Well, you know, the early 90s was a crazy time. It's when they invented the word managed care, mm-hmm. and there was a time in medicine where if you wanted to have any say on how you practiced, you wanted to go to a small town. So if you actually look at a lot of the docs who are still practicing down here, you know, Dr. Ruiz, Dr. Terry Berry, myself, Dr. Jenkins, we were all going to school at a time where there was the pressures and opportunities looked to be going to small towns. Mm-hmm. And we all end up having, at that time it was Albemarle Hospital, they built I think at that point, Regional Medical Center up in Kitty Hawk was a new building, and they opened that. That put some operating rooms and offices and a CAT scan. I think gave out a mobile MRI, and we started practicing medicine on the Outer Banks. And the I remember my partners were a little concerned because the hospital was in Elizabeth City. And I was the idiot who I loved the hospital, loved the people, loved the area, but the area there just wasn't kind of a fit for me. And so we became the idiot who practiced medicine in Elizabeth City, but I live out here. Mm. And when we did that, we committed to having the first kind of full-time practice because what most of the hospitals were doing at that time, we would travel from the town where the hospital was, whether it was Chesapeake, the great docs, Dr. Hammer and Gray had an office down here and their team commuted here. 
Dr. Terraberry's practice, my practice, actually Dr. Bowling's practice, all commuted wow. here from Edenton, Elizabeth City, or Chesapeake. Because if you had to have a baby, you had everybody had to travel. Well, that's interesting. So if you were on call, you were like, oh, I got to get up and drive all the way to Elizabeth City, or. Uh, no, well, yes, what I would do, I just became a hospitalist before it was cool. So when I was on call, mm, I was on there. call one night a week, one weekend a month, and I would travel to the hospital. So my patients had no idea where I lived. So when I was there, I, I just stayed over there and they, it was busy enough to, labor and delivery tends to happen in the middle of the night anyway. So <laughs> I, I learned early, I don't like to get that, I need you now call in the middle of the night. I'd rather just be there. Had you so, ever been to the Outer Banks before that? I visited here did and, I, and I, we did our interview. Oh, yeah. And at the time when we interviewed for the job it was the first time I'd ever been here. And the hmm. office that my practice had was the corner office at Regional Medical Center. So they kind of showed me where I would be doing my charts. And at that point, I'm sitting in, on the desk and on my in one window, I can see a Seascape Golf Course. And on the other window, I can see the ocean. I'm going... <laughs> I'll probably take the, I think I could probably make it here. And, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to New York, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Any interesting stories from back then before this hospital was built? There's folklore that folks delivered along the side of the road sometimes. Well, yes, I still have a patient that every time she sees me and, and we laugh and cry at the same time. We, I remember it was a Memorial Day weekend. And when I first moved here... They were still building the second bridge from Kurtuk, right? So there's one bridge. And so the Saturday traffic hmm. actually extended all the way up from the Whalebone Junction to Oops. the Chesapeake Line. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was big. And so it was a Labor Day weekend. The dad actually was a volunteer fireman. And so he had one of those flashing red lights. <laughs> And so the whole place was a traffic jam and wow. he, we knew something was happening. And so he was driving north in the center lane. I was driving south in the oh center lane. Gosh. I didn't have a, I, I wanted to get one of those little red lights and I went to join the uh, volunteer fire department yeah. and they wouldn't give me one because they knew I would just use it. So, so right. Right. That's probably no, a good idea. No, you're not allowed to have a double, you can't have a red light. And so we met, I think it was, I think it was Wachovia Bank or and actually, I, I forgot where we met. We made it to a parking lot and we had a baby. That is wow. crazy. Wow. Was, yeah, it was fun. Not really fun. Uh, she didn't think it was that much fun. Yeah. No. And, but no, she did fantastic. But she was and, fine, yeah. And uh, mom and baby were fine, and she still remembers that, I think. That yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, you know, one of the major impetuses to having the Outer Banks Hospital was the fact that so many people were delivering babies en route. I mean, it was... Uh, wow. The baby delivering was a big driver. And actually, when the craziness, you know, we were essentially a startup company that was a, it was a partnership between Chesapeake and, and at that point, it was, I think, University Health Systems right. yes. from, yes. from Greenville. Mm -hmm. And initially, we couldn't find a, recruit a surgeon right off the bat. So we opened up and we had some locum surgeons, but no real surgical service. And so the only real service that opened up gangbusters was delivering babies and dr kling was recruited from the uh, dr hammer and grace group and he was mm -hmm. just a great guy and he had some midwives who were doing a great job and the anesthesia service realized that paying close attention to safe women's anesthetics was primary and at that time in many small hospitals across the country getting an epidural in labor was viewed as maybe not necessary. It was an elective. And so a lot of small hospitals were not 
getting pain relief for their people in labor. Like we were, we were fortunate that our service didn't have to compete with mm-hmm. other things. And the anesthesia team really kind of embraced women's health care. So it was awesome. So, so regional regional was not delivering babies. No, they no. Were, uh, well, we delivered a couple of babies in regional, but never on purpose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know. So you were the very first chief of staff of the Outer Banks Hospital. No, I don't. I, oh. no, I was one of the first three. I think oh, at okay. that point, you know, if you think of what happened in medicine back then, the person who was chief of staff or chief of the department <laughs> was the one who didn't make the meeting, and so. <laughs> I remember I was actually, uh, we were on vacation with one of the docs, um, with the, actually with Dr. Chase. Uh, mm, you're oh, listening wow. to Dr. Chase, I'm going to tell a story about you. We were skiing and they were doing a, they had a meeting and they elected him chief of staff because he wasn't oh, there. Oh my gosh. And he was going, so no, like, no. <laughs> no. So usually back in the, you know, in the old days of medicine, the person who wasn't at the meeting or the person who probably needed the most <laughs> coaching, we would make you chief of something. And that's how I ended up being chief of staff. I needed the most coaching. So they were, uh, they made me chief at some point. I don't know what it was. And I think the advantage we've had as a small hospital, you know, because when you come out of training, it's a big choice to become a rural, to practice in a rural setting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of smaller hospitals and still are kind of struggling with how to provide great care in a rural setting. Mm And we actually, we were designed when all of that was happening. So we were designed to do state-of-the-art diagnosis and state-of-the-art transport because there are many conditions that we really shouldn't treat Mm -hmm. in a small hospital Mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere. So, and actually even still, I mean, the number one reason why I would need to go to the hospital is as a middle-aged guy, it would be a heart thing. So we have state-of-the-art diagnosis and transport, but there's really nothing here that will treat a heart attack and, and we don't pretend to do that you know small town medicine is about knowing what you do doing what you do as well as anybody does mm-hmm. it identify people who don't who need something that you don't do and then just get them where they need to be and don't waste any time or money and, and don't lose the information and so it's really been really cool as we start developing new services we're continually trying to de- design or to decide what do we do and mm-hmm. what do we do well Exactly. And the good news about being here is that if, unfortunately, that heart attack happens, you come here, you get stabilized, you know, you don't try and go somewhere else because we don't have that Mm -hmm. kind of high end service, you get stabilized here and without question. And it's, it's actually the coordination, even from the beginning, the importance of our ED docs, just coordinating with our EMS, EMT. We've got some of the best people around, and it's we all really coordinated. Do. It's coordinated care from the time to a right. high degree from the yeah. time you call nine one one to get to because there are some things that mm-hmm. you know we just want to. It's getting the right care at the right time at the right place, and that's really what the name of the game is. It is, which has always been our focus. Right, over twenty years. What do you think the biggest innovation is? for the Outer Banks Hospital? There's been so many. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, right. the, again, when I started in training, if you're having your gallbladder out, you had a big incision and you were in a hospital for seven days. Now we've got surgeons here who do gallbladders through a telescope excision, incision, you're out in 24 hours. You know, even our first hysterectomies here all tended to be abdominal hysterectomies. Now the vast majority of them yes. are minimally invasive. But if I had to pick one thing where we've probably pushed the envelope the farthest in the 20 years, I'd probably say in cancer care it would have yeah, to be. Right. You know, it's been amazing. I mean, if you actually look at our numbers historically, and until we really committed to it, the residents of our area were more likely to be diagnosed diagnosed farther along in their cancer than in other areas. 
So the commitment to doing both diagnosis, coordination of care with other centers, and treating the people here with a state-of-the-art radiation and chemotherapy here even, I think that would have to be, I think that's probably our biggest advance in the 20 years. I think you're right. That's a great answer, Absolutely. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right, so I hate to bring this up, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on the pandemic? My thoughts on the pandemic. Oh, yeah. I have many thoughts on the pandemic. You were the first to get the uh, vaccine on the Outer Banks, right? Well, that's only because they want to see if a grown man does cry with a shot. (laughs) I get that. I know that. But Um, Julie Tillett was excellent at administering. She did. I didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel a thing. It was good. But how would they have handled it 20 years ago, do you think? Wow. Right? Like, good question. How would they have handled that 20 years ago? We would have been at a significant loss. I I don't... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I... I actually don't want to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, wow. But you know, the the one thing I would would say is that regardless of then and now, we have good relationships. What I was so impressed with the pandemic, the pandemic was just terrible. And I'm going to say, I'm hopefully we're going to say good riddance to it pretty soon, but I don't know what's going to happen. I was so impressed when we ended up closing everything down because we didn't know what was happening. And all kinds of different counties were trying to figure out what to do. And I'm listening at these meetings and just listening to the people in our area, the people from the, the health department, the people from our emergency management teams, all of the people from the hospital, Ronnie and things like that. These, in many counties, these relationships may not exist or they may mm-hmm. not be strong. The reason why we've had successful the hospital over 20 years is because our community is so strong and so used to pulling together. I mean, so these were people you can tell had respect for each other. These were people who were coordinating their Mm -hmm. efforts. So I was just amazed. And it's humbling because, you know, doctors, if you have five doctors in a room, you have five people in a room who think they're the smartest people in the room. (laughs) And it's these kinds of things where you realize that there are many doctors and some of them are physicians, you know? How did the community react when the hospital got here? Like, we have strong community ties right now, amazingly. But, like, when the hospital came... Well, the hospital came, actually, was, you know, the kind of the big political fights that I remember Mm -hmm. going on in that time was the building of the high schools Mm. and the building of the hospital. So, you know, when you actually think about your child's education, your child's health, those are two things that people are going to fight for. And so it wasn't cantankerous, but it was a spirited debate amongst that. And people were getting into different camps. But as soon as the hospital opened, we just really were all at that point trying to figure out how do you work it together. Mm-hmm. And then you try to... You have to realize, let people learn that what we can and we can't do and, mm-hmm. and give them the best experience they can. And, you know, from our standpoint, we're trying to, as an OBGYN, you just try to do the best thing you can. And then if generally, the, I remember the marketing strategies of the early, late 80s and 90s was if you take care of moms, mm. moms will will mm. tell the family where they're getting their health care. We wanted to make sure that when you're coming in either to have a baby or to have an experience to do the best thing you can. And the tough part from you know the, the ED, the ED was where a whole lot of business has happened. Business that happens for the hospital, but walking into an emergency room is never a good thing. So nobody's ever planning to go in there. Mm-hmm. So, so you can walk into one of the best EDs in the country that if technically is great, and walk out of there thinking, I didn't like that. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so, but 
I think it's been a little snowball effect, mm -hmm. and uh, over time, you can see that we added as we added services, mm -hmm. added staff, mm -hmm. added things. Yeah. I think we've come to the point where I think everybody's pulling in the same direction on most days. Awesome, excellent. In hospital years, twenty years is still young. Yes, and we. You know, I think have come pretty far with what we're we're doing here in, in a rural setting in just twenty years. I think it's huge. I, th I and 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 when I think of we've had, I think probably four or five CEOs, a couple of interims at a time, and each one of them has moved the ball mm, yes. in a direction towards better care and yeah. better access. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Any other memories of the twenty years? Any you look back, you laugh to yourself, or you're like, wow, that was amazing or wow anything nothing that i should say in public, <laughs> you, know, you, know? I, you know early on i think probably a, a good memory would be initially it was a difficult decision to tie my horse to a small hospital so i was coming mm -hmm. into a point mm -hmm. of my career then i was concerned when i first got here whether or not i'd be kind of fencing in my skill sets too much right because there's a lot of things that you can do in a larger hospital that you really shouldn't do in a small hospital. Mm -hmm. There's some people who I can care for in a larger hospital, but you're actually part of a larger team that sometimes is not here. Right. And I was really kind of debating as to whether or not I should be doing this, right? And I it was one at night, and I had one of my patients was having a difficult time, and she was going to the operating room. And it was a visitor who I'd met that night, and it's probably now 5 o'clock in the morning that things are... And the nurse who was taking care of her in the ED came to her to the with to her the recovery room, and then actually ended up driving her home to where her kid was because this was a, somebody having a problem. There wow. was a visitor. Wow, that's great. And I'm thinking, boy, this is the kind of team I want to be <laughs> on. You know? So, so it was one. And I kind of I know who that nurse was. I'm not going to say her name mm -hmm. because now as I'm thinking about it. <laughs> That could be one of 50 nurses that I've worked with here. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. right. Those so, stories so, come out yeah. about us. And that's mm -hmm. really uh, wonderful to know that it really kind of was from the beginning. My that's goodness. who we were. Yeah. I've spent a lot of hours in our building, so I know a lot of people who work here. And I've seen a lot of people over the years, but I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah. Excellent. Great people. Yay. Well, I know the community wouldn't want you anywhere else. And I'm going to make you uncomfortable because you know you're a beloved physician here. People know you, you've been around, you've delivered most of the young ones, 20 and under. <laughs> and we're just grateful that you're a part of the team. Why, thank you. Yeah. Anything okay. else you want to share with us about the 20 years? Or we I just, just can't really wait for the next 20, you know? All right. Yeah, yeah, we're, just, we're just getting started. Well, thank you so <laughs> much Thanks, for Dr. being Dwyer. here with us. We really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thank, thank you for you. asking me. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it on your social channels. To hear more Outer Banks health history, check out the podcast library at theobh.com slash podcast. This is your host, Denise Schnabel. Stay safe.